You're listening to the Remembering and Longing Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're celebrating all God has done in our J-Town family and looking forward to where He's leading us. So if you're able, I encourage you to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. So we read a couple verses here at the end of chapter 11. Uh, the good thing about it is here in a few weeks I'll be back in this passage, so, uh, which is kind of exciting for me because there's a lot in these two verses and I just feel like I'm kind of scratching the surface today. So, um, but I think they're very fitting with what we're trying to do this morning. So starting in verse 20, 28 here, hear the word of the Lord. So come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I'm lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. So, Father, once again, we ask for your help. That your spirit would come and help us to understand and be obedient uh, to what you say here, God. Help us to believe what this passage is saying, that we can only find rest in Christ. So, Lord, help our unbelief. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So if, if you're just joining us, we're uh, kind of coming to an end of just a, a, a little three-part series that we did, kind of more a vision series, and we entitled this kind of Remembering and Longing. And so uh, if you're with us the, the first week, we just took some time of remembering our story, what God's done here uh, over the last nine years, some things we want to celebrate and thank God for. Uh, last week we kind of came and, and talked a little bit more of like, you know, our own identity, who we are. We looked at some of the values that we... Um, live by and feel within the context of our community and and spent time just looking at our relational uh, value. And so what I want to do this morning briefly out of these two verses that we just got done reading, I want to talk a little bit about kind of like our our focus. Like where where do we want to lean into over the next five to ten years? You know, what's what we're going to be about, what are we going to kind of narrow sort of our focus and lean more into. And it's not like uh, we haven't been doing this. It's not that this, was, this is something brand new or, man, we discovered something. No, it's, it's more of um, kind of the posture of our own hearts of where we feel like our body uh, needs to go. And so I, to kind of set this up a little bit, um, so as I said last week, our, um, our, our, our elder body and, our, and some of our staff have, over the last years, uh, had some collaborative meetings together uh, where we've spent some time in prayer, we've read some stuff together, we've done brainstorming together, and a lot of this was just basically answering the questions of like, who do we want to be and where do we sense God leading us? And so um, a, much of what I'm talking about today has come as a fruit of that, that time together in this leaning and this kind of like, hey, this is where we want to focus has come from that time together. I, I, I do wish that I can present it today with more packaged and more polished and uh, maybe a little more like clear clarity of what this is going to look like. Um, but we're still in process with this and still in work with this. But I do think uh, it's good for us to kind of at least make this sort of public 
hey, this is what uh, your leadership is wanting to lean into more. And, and with that, we want our body uh, to lean in with us. Uh, so that's the first thing kind of like to set this up. And then the, the second thing to set this up with is um, more kind of like on a personal note. So, um, so yeah, by, by God's grace, man, he has allowed me to basically be in three churches in my pastoral ministry. So I've been, been doing this for almost 30 years now, like 28, 29 years. And, um, yeah, God's given me a, a blessing of kind of setting my roots here for the last uh, 20 some years, you know, 15 years at church in Oldham County, and then I've been here, be nine years in December. And if there, um, if I could just step back and say, like, what's um, the best word I could come up with today was kind of melody. What's the the theme that I've seen in my own pastoral ministry? And a, as far as like, wh- what am I after? Um, I think what I'm going to talk about this morning is what I've tried to lean into really well. Have I done it perfectly? No. Have I done it right? No. Uh, but, I, but I've longed to be faithful uh, in this way, and, and, and I'd love for us uh, to kind of lean into this a little more. And, you know, I, I don't know what God has for me. I have no plans of going anywhere. I, I turned 50 in the fall. Um, I, I'm kind of looking at, over oh, right, the next 10 to 11 years, what would it look like for us to, you know, go hard after this? Uh, I'll be about 60, and I don't know. I'm thinking you guys might want someone a little younger at that time. And I don't know if I want to be a 60-year-old and feel the kind of pressure that I sort of live under uh, all the time. And so I think I might be at a place where I'm, all right, let's, let's raise somebody up, and I want to be their kind of jockstrap. I want to support them, you know, and <laughs> be their great encouragement and coach them and love them. Thanks for laughing at that because that was a little awkward in saying that. Um, so that's, that's what I see. I don't, I don't want to retire at 60, obviously. Um, but I, but I want to I wanna see what, what can God do in our midst and give me a 20-year run here. So nine years will be in December. What, what's the next 11 look like for us? And, and I just want to do our best to kind of, all right, let's rifle in. Let's have some focus of where we're going. Uh, I know this. I I, I can't be a, an everything pastor, and I can't be an everything church, or I can't lead an everything church. Um, we won't get this right. I don't think any church gets everything right. And if you think they're getting it right, it's because you don't go to that church, right? You're just looking at it on the Internet, and you have some dreams of what you think they are. Um, but every church has got its gaps and its holes and its struggles, and, and we will too. And so my desire is not necessarily to get it right. My desire is to be faithful. And how can we be faithful in leaning in uh, to what I want to talk about this morning? So here's what I want to do. I, I, it's, it's funny. I, th- I think um, sermon prep never ends. <laughs> I know you, most of you don't preach, right? Obviously, if you do and you're here, you understand that. It just doesn't. Like, you're just, you're always, even up to this moment, working on it, you know? And even as I came in this morning, I, I felt like there was some um, clarity here on, on what is really going on in this passage. And so, even in my notes, I have, like, there, there are two invitations 
that Jesus has given to us here in verses 28 through 30. And they are, they're, they're, they're two invitations, but at the same time, they're, they're one, right? I know that sounds really weird. Uh, it's kind of like, um, you know, when you swing, swinging is, is a movement that requires two movements, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, that sounds crazy, but think about it. When was, I mean, most of us probably don't swing a lot, all right? I know, but maybe we should. It's, it's very relaxing um, if you don't try to jump off. But swinging, you have to kind of like, you have to kind of lean back, and then you got to go forward, lean back, and go forward. So it's two movements, but we call it one. It's swinging. You know what I'm saying? So you don't look at somebody, hey, you're leaning back and going forward. Great job, right? <laughs> you're, you're, you're swinging. And so I I think that's sort of what we see here in these two verses. There, there kind of is two invitations, but they're really, it's just one. You can't separate. They're, they're, they're a package. And so, uh, you know, let me, let me try to explain this. So the first invitation comes in verse 28. When it's, 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 a, it's sort of a, a simple invitation to come to Jesus. That, that's what it is here. I mean, look what he says. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will... Do what? I'll give you rest. So this is a, an invitation, and God, Jesus' invitation is always an invitation to come and rest. It's not an invitation to come and do. Even though there's work that needs to be done on your life and work in this world, but the first invitation is always an invitation to come to Christ and rest because the ultimate work has been, completed, has been completely done by the work of Jesus Christ. So it's always, first and foremost, an invitation to come to Christ and rest. All who are what? What do he say there? Weary and burdened. For everyone whose life is hard, whose life is difficult, they're discouraged, they're exhausted, they're overwhelmed. Which means this, if you have a pulse, that's you, amen? And Jesus' invitation is not, hey, come to me and I'm going to remove that burden. This invitation is, hey, come to me, and I'm going to take that overwhelming circumstance out of your life. No, his invitation is to come to me, trust me, and I will give you rest. So how is that? Here's the, here's the movement, right? Here's how it's two, but one. How is that? How can I come to Jesus, and he's not going to remove all the obstacles and difficulties and burdens? I mean, guys, look, man, none of us in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, or even if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, None of us are going, I'm living a burdenless life. <laughs> if you are, I, I don't know. You may not be a human being. I don't know who you are. Right? You're an alien that rolled in here or something. Every one of us, okay, maybe not. But every one of us has some burden we're carrying. Every one of us in here feel overwhelmed and struggling and exhausted. And so if he's not necessarily promising to remove that, then how do I come to Jesus and know he's going to give me rest? Like, how does this all work? Well, that's the second invitation or the second movement, but that's one. Look what he says here in verse 29. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly, or another translation would be is I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the first invitation is come to me, come to Jesus, and you'll find rest. Second invitation is come to me, 
take on my yoke and learn from me. So make the connections here. How do I come to Jesus when I'm exhausted, weary, and burdened with all that's going on in life, and he's not going to remove these burdens away from me, but he's actually going to give me rest, and how does that happen? What happens here? Well, the other invitation is to come to Jesus and take his yoke on you and learn from him. Now, when we hear the word yoke, I mean, most of us know this is kind of like a, a work instrument, right? So we think about yoke. We, I got a couple pictures here. We think about two animals that are yoked together like this ox here, and, you know, they work together. They, they pull a, a cart or they're, you know, they're pulling a plow, whatever it is. They're sharing the load, this, this heavy burden, so to speak. They're sharing the load in order to do this heavy work. And another way you can look at this too, and, and I'm not for sure what Jesus has in mind here. He may have both in mind, but there's also kind of like what you might call a human yoke or a shoulder yoke where you're, I know it's such an interesting picture, isn't it? Thanks for laughing. I, I thought the same thing. It's like, that is such an interesting picture. Um, where, where you've got, you know, a, a heavy load where it distributes the weight to where you can carry this. And so, you know, a yoke is not something you want it's kind of restrictive but whenever you're carrying a heavy load or pulling a heavy load a yoke is a good thing to have you want a yoke on in order to pull and carry a heavy load here and so maybe if you're tracking with me a little bit this sounds a little counterintuitive come to jesus and you'll find rest how am i going to find rest put on a work instrument right i mean you're tracking with me a little bit so come to come to me you'll find rest so how do i find rest jesus well here let me give you a yoke let me give you a work instrument i mean what what i want from this passage is that come to me and you'll find rest take my mattress amen right take my hammock go find a park tied up between two trees relax you know take a vacation Go to a beach, go to a mountain, go to a lake. You know, that, that's, that's what we want. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Come to me and you'll find rest. And here, let me give you a work instrument. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift that he can give a tired and wearied and worn out humanity is a new way to carry life and a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Life is full of them. Life is full of weight and burdens. Like, you don't get away from it. And so what Jesus is offering here is not an escape. He's not. But what Jesus is offering here, as one commentator says, he's offering equipment. And that equipment is himself. He's saying, take my yoke upon you. You see, in, in Jesus', Jesus time, whenever, whenever somebody wanted to be kind of a disciple of a, of a rabbi or a teacher, it was said that they would be kind of yoked to them, so to speak, figuratively speaking. It wasn't li literal yoking of them together. But they were yoked to them, which just basically means that they, they wanted to live by their teachings, obey what they said, embody who they are. It's almost like they, like I want to, I want to be like them. And so that's kind of what it means here in Jesus' time to be yoked together, so to speak. And that's what 
Jesus trying to get after. Like, none of us are yokeless. <laughs> that sounds really strange, doesn't it? But we're not. Every one of us in this room, we've learned a way of life. We've learned a way of being. We've learned a way of relating, of viewing work. We've learned a way of meaning and purpose. There's, there's, there's a, none of us is yokeless, right? It's our, some of us are family of origin. Some of it's our, you know, cultural things are. Some of it's temperamental wiring, whatever it is. Like we, we've kind of learned a way of life. One of the best ways you see this, and I hate to keep using married illustrations. I'm sorry for those that are single. We love you, and I'm glad you're here uh, so thanks for your patience with all the stupid married examples here. Um, but we see this really when, when two people get married, newly married. It's what happens is you've got, you know, two schools of discipleship coming together. Are, are you following me? And those schools of discipleship include everything from making bed to not making bed. Amen? To raising kids, to toothpaste. Is it squeezing the middle, squeezing the bottom, right? Toilet paper, under, over. Right? I mean, where you put your socks, where you, all of this, how you fold socks, how you fold towels, all of that is where these two schools of discipleship come together. And that's, in essence, what Jesus is trying to help you see is that you're carrying a yoke. And if this yoke is not me, if it's not my yoke, you're going to be worn out. You're going to be restless. You're going to be tired. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to be left wanting. But take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. There's a way of living life that brings a settledness to you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So maybe you're here and you're still kind of struggling with the whole idea of rest and yoke. <laughs> and how do those, it just seemed like the opposite. Wow, how in the world do those come together? And I, and I forgot to ask you this, Elliot, so hopefully you'll uh, forgive me. But um, I'm going to put Elliot on the spot here and make him feel very uncomfortable. Um, so as we all know, Elliot is, is a phenomenal musician. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a stinking understatement. I mean, he's so gifted. I mean, for someone to be able to uh, navigate multiple instruments and do those instruments with ease is a gifted musician. And we thank God for him because uh, he uses, uses his gift not as a way to build up his own platform, but to bless and serve us. Yeah, you guys can clap for that. So I know I'm making him feel really awkward right now. If you need to go to the bathroom, you can go to the bathroom. It, it'd be great. It's like, I'm out of here. Um, but here's the thing that, that we know is that, you know, it isn't like Elliot got up a couple months ago and said, you know what, I think I want to lead worship, and I'm going to bust out the guitar, and here I am, you know what I'm saying, or I'm going to get on the piano and go for it. No, that's not the case, and we all know that. I mean, he got to where he is today because of years upon years of being yoked to a piano, of being yoked to a guitar. And I'm sure, I mean, I haven't asked him this, but I'm sure there's days where he didn't want to play or practice. There were days he didn't feel like it, days where it felt like a drudgery. But he was yoked, so to speak, to that instrument. And eventually, because he has been yoked to that instrument, 
for years. Now this instrument is a refuge for him. It can bring rest to him. I mean, there are days during the week when I hear him out here playing. And I know some of this is when he's just trying to get ready for Sunday, but I think some of it also is a way for him to find refuge and rest for his own soul. And that is a product, look guys, of being yoked to this instrument. And I think that's what Jesus is after here. The yoke of Jesus eventually becomes a refuge, a place of rest. Yes, it may feel confining at first, but eventually it becomes spacious. We need this yoke. This yoke of Jesus is the only thing that gets you into freedom. And so, um, here's where I want to lean as a church. Here's where I want us to kind of navigate our focus that we would be a body who takes on the yoke of Jesus and we learn from Him. God's vision for every single one of us that are Christ followers is that we would mature and grow up, that we would take His yoke, Jesus' yoke on us, and learn from Him. The old school word for this, if you've been in church, is to be a disciple. That's what it is. The word disciple, and I've said this before, but it's a good reminder for all of us, is used 269 times in the New Testament. The word Christian is used three times. And so I'm, I'm curious about that. And I'm not trying to say that, that we need to change our language, and if you start using Christian, then you're going to be kicked out of our church, and don't want everybody to kind of get all weird here. I'm just making an observation that the word that we primarily identify ourselves as, as a Christian, is only used three times in the New Testament. And the word that we normally don't identify ourselves as, even though it's been used 269 times in the New Testament, is a disciple. And I think there are many reasons for this. One may be that we just feel like disciple feels very varsity. That feels really serious. And a Christian feels more like, ah, JB, right? But over and over in the Bible, our mission as a church is not just found in Matthew 28. It's all over the place. But the place we see it in Matthew 28 is this, go and make what? Say it out loud. It doesn't say Christians. Go and make disciples. And part of making disciples, if you read on in there, is that we go and teach them everything that Jesus commanded. That's synonymous with take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's exactly what he's talking about. So going and making disciples includes teaching them to obey all that I command, teaching them to take on the yoke of Jesus and learn from Him. Learn a way of life that is consistent with the way of Jesus' life. Guys, this may sound kind of gross, but just bear with me. Look, there's no vampire Christians. 
There's not. There's no room for vampire Christians, those who want the blood of Jesus, but don't want any of his lordship, don't want any of his commands, don't want any of his teachings. Those who just want to kind of go to heaven, make sure I've got my get-out-of-hell-free card, whatever, when they die so they can see their family and friends, but who do not want to bring their lives under the authority of Jesus Christ today. Guys, there's no biblical category for that. Even Paul in his letter to Colossae says this in Colossians 1, 28-29. Here's his desire. Here's what he longed to see happen. Jesus we proclaim. That's who him modifies there, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may do what? We may present everyone mature in Christ. Not just converts. Not just people who got baptized. Not just people that walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. Not just people who say, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian. But then my entire life doesn't even look like it. He longed to present everyone mature in Christ. Our mission statement, which is on the back of your bulletin there, in a very small print, about four font. I have to use my readers to be able to see that bad boy. But it basically says this, we exist to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. And here's what I'm, here's what I'm trying to say. What if? What if for the next five to ten years, we put a lot of effort on build? What if we put a little more leaning toward the ideal of building the church, discipling the church, teaching people how to take on the yoke of Jesus and learn from him? Now, some of you might be going, well, what about reach and sin? Isn't that kind of our outward-facing posture to our community? You know, are we just kind of like saying no to reach and sin? No, I'm, I'm not. Great question, but I'm not. I'm not wanting our focus on building to be at the expense of reach and sin. I'm not wanting our focus on building to be at the expense of mission. I'm doing it, and I'm urging us to do it for the sake of mission. Are you following me? I mean, guys, look, just, you can just do a Google search of the Western church or church, and I promise you, you will find all kinds of problems, all kinds of them. Countless moral failures of quote-unquote famous pastors. Just read something this week where one of those pastors, after a couple years of being sort of out of the church, who had an affair with his secretary, is now planting a new church in Florida and at the same time still going through divorce proceedings with his wife. And everyone that's over him, that's trying to speak into his life, is saying, do not plant a church. And I don't know, that probably doesn't hit you like it hits me. It just burdens me. It, it makes this look like a joke. Financial abuses, sexual abuse, all the devastating 
Hashtag church two stories, institutional cover-ups, not to mention the statistical similarities between those who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ and those who say they're not in regards to their own crime, immorality, sexual ethics, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a study coming out sometime later this fall by the Barner Research. And guys, look, I'm not a big statistical reading kind of guy. Sometimes you can make stats read what you want them to read. And so I always read stats with sort of a grain of salt and go, okay, there could be some truth in this. Well, this one is really disturbing, even if there's a hint of truth in this. Barna's coming out and saying that only 11% of the kids who are currently in our churches will grow up to be disciples. I mean, just think about that. We have close to 200 kids this Sunday. It's 20. Dallas Willard looks at these things, not just as problems in the church, but symptoms of a much bigger problem. And this is what he says. Most problems in contemporary churches, and this was said back in the late 90s, early 2000. Very prophetic. Most problems in the contemporary churches can be explained by the fact that members have never decided to follow Christ. That they've not taken on the yoke of Jesus and learned from him. Can you tell me what's been the greatest harm to the witness of Jesus and the church? What is the greatest harm of that? It's us. Followers of Jesus Christ who look nothing like the fruit of the Spirit. We're angry, we're bitter, we're unforgiving, we're harsh, we're critical. We are not known for our love. Brett McCracken in his book called Uncomfortable says this, I know plenty of Christians who get far more excited about mission out there than they do about their own personal holiness. Passionate church planters whose marriages are a mess Progressive Christians engaged in social justice but disengaged with their own spiritual vitality. But mission and morality are not two separate categories. Christopher Wright, who's an author and an Old Testament scholar, says our holiness is as much a part of our missional identity as of our personal sanctification. If we preach a gospel of transformation, we need to show some evidence of what that transformation looks like. So please hear me, guys. Look, I hope you hear this, man. I have a concern for those people that are far from God. I want us to reach people that do not know Jesus. I I do. I want us to send people out from our midst that God's calling to maybe go thousands of miles from here, overseas, or maybe even in another state of the United States to go and do work, do new work. Like, I, I long for that. I pray for that. I want that. So look, look. The, the focus of building or the focus of discipleship, the focus of us taking on the yoke of Christ and learning for him is not to, at the expense of mission. It's for the sake of mission. I mean, you guys have heard it said from me before. And I'm not saying this is wrong, right? That the gospel is not about behavior modification. 
There's so much truth in that statement, and I totally affirm that. It's not. It's not just about creating good little people, right? That the gospel goes in and does a deep work that changes the very heart and our desires and our longings. But here's where I want to say also, there's always like a little asterisk, a caveat. It still changes your behavior. If the gospel is doing its work, your behavior changes. You're taking on the yoke of Christ. You're hearing his commands. You're seeing what he says, and you're submitting under his authority. And when you do that, your behavior is different. That's not the primary goal, but it is the fruit of it. So, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? So if we're leaning toward this, uh, what does that mean, Lyle? Well, here's what I would say one, real quickly. I, I, I'm not adding anything new. Right? It's not like we're going to, oh, here's the program, right? I, I think that gets a little weird because then we think discipleship is all kind of mechanical, that if you do X, Y, Z, you're always going to get this product. And I think there's, there's places where we need to provide space, um, places where we need to provide sort of like an environment where this can happen. But I'm not wanting to kind of add this programmatic feel of like, man, if we can get everybody to go through this, then we're going to get this product. I just think human beings are more complex than that, right? And hopefully you, you feel that too because you're a human being. Um, the other thing is this, is I, I want to, and this is where I'm saying, like, I don't have all this figured out, and that's why we got a team of leaders here, pastors that will work together on I want to give a kind of a vision of discipleship that's sustainable. And all I mean by that is I, I just feel like a lot of the visions of discipleship that I've encountered work great if you don't have a job, right? It's like, if you don't have a job, yeah. I mean, you can even look at me and go, yeah, it's easy for you, Lyle. I mean, this is your job. And I want to take that into account, but what do you say to a single mom who's working 12 to 15 hours a day and trying to raise a family? Oh, you need to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go meet with this little study group so you can be discipled. And if you're not doing that, you're not really serious about Jesus. I'm going, what? Seriously? We're going to put that load on her? That's what I'm saying. And, and I don't know what this means. I'm just saying, like, I want us to lean into this more because I think it's really vital for our church. If we're going to have any impact, not only in our own lives, but in our families, in our schools, in our communities, in our work, is when we live as a disciple. We take on the yoke of Christ and we learn from him. So, I'll end with this, all right? We're not doing anything new. I just want you to see what we've already been doing that's been in line with this. Like, we've already tried to shift some things to help us see how we're trying to lean into this more. So, just, just quickly, and then, then I'm done. One is we've tried to put a greater emphasis on prayer because this isn't my work, this isn't the pastor's work, this isn't necessarily your work. It's God's work, first and foremost. And so we're inadequate to do this, and so we want to cry out to God that he would 
shape us and inform us to be more and more like Christ. And so we've tried to put a greater emphasis on prayer. We started out the year with saying, hey, you as a body, commit to pray on Wednesdays for our church. I gave you a prayer card. Here's the three things you can pray for. Well, probably most of us in this room, including myself, I've kind of forgotten about that. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we did do that. Well, guess what? Wednesday's coming. Amen? Like, you always have a Wednesday. So you can start this Wednesday. Maybe your group meets on Wednesday. You guys can make it first Wednesday of every month. You're going to make sure you set aside time to pray specifically about our, about our own leaning, taking on Christ, the yoke of Christ, and learning from Him. We're going to try to continue to do four quarterly prayers, uh, nights of worship and prayer together. The next one for us will be September 11th. And so, like, I'm encouraging our body to get together and let's pray, let's sing together, and let's spend time crying out to the Lord. That's already been happening. We'll put more emphasis and leaning in there. In our times, uh, secondly, just even with what we're doing in our, in our gather times, what we call it, you know, our Sunday morning, you know, experience here. Guys, look, that's the reason why we're going through Matthew. It's at that aim. I want to see the way of Jesus. I want to see how he lives. And by his spirit, I want to kind of unite my way with his way. That's why we're not just spending 10 weeks in Matthew. We're spending two years. Because we want to spend time marinating, so to speak, with the life of Jesus. Because that's who we want to become like. Even in our scattered times, in our groups, we're just kind of taking this lens of discipleship. And so, okay, what, what could be different possibly here? If we, if we look at this lens of like, man, we want to form and shape people to be more and more like Christ, what does that look like in group life? It's one of our purposes within groups, but how can we lean into that a little bit more? It's one of the reasons why we've, we did grace marriage. Yeah, yeah, we want to work on marriages, but that's not just the end goal. We need to remember the bigger picture of what marriage is about. It's the picture that God has put on this earth of His relationship to his church. It's the tangible, touchable way for someone to really experience the grace of God. So it doesn't stay out here in the, the, you know, the air, but someone can watch a husband and wife struggle through things and learn what it looks like to love when they don't deserve love. And so we, we, we start this rhythm called grace marriage where we're meeting four times a year to work on our marriage so that our marriage is not a perfect picture. It's not going to ever be perfect. We don't want perfection. We want it to be healthy. And the way that a marriage is healthy is when you work on it. So we did the feast. Yeah, we love donuts, and we love fruit, and we love bagels, and we love to eat together. You better believe it. It's transformed the in-between times for us. I mean, literally, absolutely transformed. I love going out there and just seeing the kind of talking, the chattering, all kinds of stuff. But also what we wanted to do with that is to give you a picture of a rhythm called hospitality where you open up your home and your life to those people that are not like you. And when we do that, man, that's, that shapes you. It, it forms you. It Makes you more like Christ because what was his posture? His posture was always leaning toward the outsider. That's why we've changed some of the focus of our men's and women's studies. Instead of doing this kind of shotgun approach where we got like, you know, all kinds of Bible studies. We're doing this study this year, this study this year, and we have no idea why we're doing them or where we're going. Well, let's, let's look at it like this. Man, this is a very mobile, transient society. Let's say over the next five years, where do we want to form our people? And let's go after that. And hopefully you see that reflected 
and some of the approach this coming fall when we dive into men's and women's studies again. We started some discipleship groups. These were pilot groups that we did this past year where we took two groups of five men each and worked through kind of a, a 22-week curriculum. They met on a weekly basis, some on, in the mornings and some in the evenings. And part of that was, hey, yeah, we're going to learn some content together, but we're also going to learn how to do life together, hold each other accountable, pray for one another, memorize Scripture together. We want to expand that and grow that. Not to say this, that this is the only way that you can become a disciple is if you're in a group. But I want to create space for that to happen because I do think there's a whole lot of value there. No, we're not going to create this one-on-one mentoring ministry because that gets really weird really fast. And if you're not smiling or chuckling, it's because you've not been a part, part of a church that tried to do that. And it got, like, funky weird. So what, we, what, what I'm after is that we want to move toward groups of three to five because I feel like that's the kind of context by which I think there's ways that you can learn from one another. And quite frankly, that's what Jesus did. He had three guys. And so he predicted his death and resurrection, pulled it off. I think we're going to go with what Jesus does. There you go. And lastly, you guys have heard me talk about this too. There are practices that we want to lean into more. These rhythms and disciplines in our life that I want to continue to cultivate in the life of our church. Rhythms of word and prayer, solitude, silence, fasting. Because we're not just out to get more information. We have enough information for crying out loud. I'm after shaping us to, in a way of being in this world. A way of how I inhabit God's world. And that way of being is shaped and influenced by the practices that I engage in. That's what I feel like we need to lean into. That maybe, by the grace of God, over the next 10 years, He can cultivate within our midst whole people. Head, heart, hands. Whole people. People have a knowledge of the beauty and the truth of who God is and at the same time are emotionally intelligent. (laughs) Knows what's going on in their own heart world. Have a a self-awareness about them. Understands their story and God's story and how it intersects. And we create a wholehearted people that can be a faithful presence of love. I'm telling you guys, that can have major impact on you, your family, your neighborhood, and in the city. By God's grace, may you do that. Let's pray. So, Father, I just ask for your help, Lord. And we can't do this without your spirit. And God, I don't have any desires for us to be this insular church. We're all about us. But I want to be a church that's, that's seen in how you have lived. Just, you know, hands are wide open, arms are wide open, receiving. And then there were times, Lord, that you also cultivated your own relationship with the Lord. And so I, I just, God, help us to be a people that take your yoke on and learn from you. And see that this is where real life is really fun. And get rest, rest for our wearied souls. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread like this and he broke it.
And he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup of wine like this and said, this is the the blood of the new covenant that's been shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So each time we eat of this bread, we drink of this cup, we're announcing the death of Christ until he returns. And so here's how we do communion here. If you are a follower of Christ, if you're a disciple, we ask you to come forward, break a piece of the bread off, dip it in wine or juice, whichever your conscience permits. The wine is always marked by twine. But if you're not a Christian, then our encouragement for you is not to take this meal, but that you would receive Christ, that you would put your faith and trust in him. We always have some leaders that are in the back that would love to talk to you. They have a little lanyard on about what it means to be a Christian. They're also there to pray with you. Maybe the Lord has awakened you to a burden that you're just feeling immensely today. Uh, they would love to share that burden with you by praying with you and for you. So church, whenever you're ready to take communion, you can stand up and come forward. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.